Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I'm your host, Lucas Miles. Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I'm your host, Lucas Miles, and I am excited to bring to you episode 85 with my guest today, Mark Joseph. Mark is an award-winning music and film producer, author, columnist, commentator, and founder of MJM Entertainment Group. Mark and I recently connected at the end of the summer of 2017 at an event at Mark Burnett and Roma Downey's home, which we talk about briefly on the interview, for the National Religious Broadcasters, which has been just a fabulous friend to the show. And I was really honored to be out there, met some incredible people, Mark being one of them. And, you know, Mark is a guy that the more I look at his bio, the more impressed I am with everything that he's done. He began as an anchor on Entertainment Report for Group W and CNN. He spent literally the next decade hosting the TV show The Interview and featured one-on-one interviews with people like Larry King, Charlton Heston, Jay Leno, and dozens of others. From there, Mark went on to work in development or marketing of over 53 films, including Ray, Holes, I Am David, The Chronicles of Narnia, Because of Winn-Dixie, The Passion of the Christ, Little Boy, Son of God, and others. On this episode, Mark and I talk about his new book, Rock Gets Religion, The Battle for the Soul of the Devil's Music, which came out towards the end of 2017 as well as his project with Adam Carroll and Dennis Prager called No Safe Spaces, and of course his film Reagan starring Dennis Quaid, which I am really excited about, which is expected to film later this year. Mark's the kind of guy that just doesn't know how to make a bad project of any kind, and this is one reason I love this interview, because we really just get to hear his heart and his experience, his expertise, as well as just... I think some of his, the mindset that he brings to the table, whether it's a a book that he's working on or a film that he's producing, I love his creativity. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with producer Mark Joseph. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an unparalleled digital faith experience that could unite the global body of believers into an online community? Well, now there is. Introducing Faith Social. Faith Social is a robust digital platform that provides a complete menu of resources to nourish spiritual lives in an atmosphere of unity that doesn't require uniformity. They bring the world's Christians together and deliver churches, ministries, and individuals contents that deepen their connection with God and connect them with one another. Faith Social is today's digital faith experience. Check them out at faithsocial.com. Mark Joseph, welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have to say, first of all, I have to tell the story about how we met. And it's totally obnoxious name dropping, but it was such a cool day for me that I just can't not share it. So we met at Mark and Roma, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey's house for an NRB event, National Religious Broadcasters, which they've been great, great friends of the show. Man, I just, you just have this aura of like, you got a ton of stuff going on and you can just see the like the wheels turn in your mind like like the whole time we were talking which i just absolutely love <laughs> well you're right we had, we had a lot of fun that day man if imagine if you and i had a house like that overlooking the pacific ocean <laughs> what what could we accomplish in life with you know you go there you rest and you relax and you go out and and slay dragons they're amazing people it's just been a, a, a lot of fun getting to know them and their friends like you. And yeah, we had a fun time out there. 
I yeah, I agree completely. I mean, there was just everybody everybody there was just wonderful. You know, it just was a fabulous, fabulous night. Then that was shortly before, you know, all the fires that broke out there. So I know that uh, that area's, you know, been transformed in a lot of ways, you know, as a result of that tragedy. But definitely, definitely a great time meeting you. And I appreciate you coming on the program here and sharing a little bit of your wisdom and insights and what you're working on with our listeners. Thank you. Look forward to it. So first off, let's let's talk about this book here. I want to talk about some of the, the film projects and TV stuff you're working on as well. But I'm holding in my hand a book called Rock Gets Religion, The Battle for the Soul of the Devil's Music by Mark Joseph, forward by Alice Cooper. And tell us what Rock Gets Religion is all about. Sure. I began this about, man, I'm feeling, I'm feeling old now. About 25 years ago, I wrote an article I remember I was at my then girlfriend, now wife's college graduation ceremony, and it was a four-hour ceremony. I was bored out of my mind sitting in the bleachers of this place, and I began working on an article that was later published, and it it was basically the story of what was then called the Negro Baseball Leagues, and I drew the analogy of how the Negro Baseball Leagues was like the Christian music industry. And that became an article for a couple of different publications that ended up at Billboard, which was really cool at the time. And that became a book called The Rock and Roll Rebellion, Why People of Faith Abandoned Rock Music and Why They're Coming Back in 1999. And then later in 2003, a sequel of sorts called Faith, God, and Rock and Roll. And this is the third in the trilogy, I call it, of books. Just basically, the first two were really kind of giving the history of, of why this happened, why the separation happened, a roadmap out of it. And then the third one, this one, is really kind of a, a look back. And really the amazing things that have happened, the, band, the book profiles about 30 or 40 artists today who have, who have kind of escaped and are now in the mainstream, are doing good work. You know, it's, it's always relevant, I think, today because I see a lot of the same things that happened in music paralleling happening in film as well. And, and that's what the book gets into is many of the reasons why this happens, why people of faith, especially devout Christians, but it can really happen in any community, why there is an impulse to retreat and to form sub-communities that then are very difficult to access for not for a person who's not very religious or plugged into that world. You know, who is the forerunner you know, of this. I mean, we're starting to see some artists, which I know you talk about guys like Justin Bieber and Lecrae. My generation, we would probably think of Bono. I mean, before that, was it Bob Dylan? I mean, who who really was in, you know, kind of the music industry? Was there, was there just an initial influence there? You know, there are just so many different artists that this happened to in various ways. I mean, I think back to people like you know, Pat Boone, believe it or not, Pat Boone once, uh, Elvis Presley once opened for Pat Boone back in the day. And I would say, you know, Pat, who who is has become a good friend of mine, and I, I check in with regularly, he's probably the, one of the best examples of somebody who has just continually stayed in the mainstream music business for the most part with his beliefs over the years. Um, but there, you know, there are a lot of others. Al Green is an example of, you know, a guy who is a huge R&B star, has very, very odd experience where a woman pours hot grits over him and then shoots herself. He really comes back to his faith and he wrestles with, you know, what do I do now? Do I keep making R&B records? Do I make gospel records? 
yeah, you mentioned Bono, of course, there's Johnny Cash. There's just, you know, it's very, very hard to be in the music business and to know what to do. Do we, do you turn back and, you know, join the Christian music business? Part of the reason that I had Alice, I asked Alice to write the foreword of the book is he's really a classic case in what has changed. So basically in the seventies and eighties, if you were a big rock or pop star and you became a born again Christian, chances are you would go to your pastor. And this happened, I believe with you too, and a bit with, with Elvis as well. And your pastor would tend to say, well, now that you're a Christian, you know, you should cut your hair, you know, kind of tour the country singing hymns and maybe sign with a Christian label in Nashville. Well, Alice goes to his pastor in the eighties and asks the same question. Like, what do I do now? You know, I'm Alice Cooper. What do I do with this stick of mine, this act I have? Obviously, his name is not Alice Cooper. And his pastor, you know, in, uh, very interestingly, instead of saying what other pastors had said, says to him, does God make mistakes? Asks him, does God make mistakes? And Alice, you know, presumably says, well, I'm new at this, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, God made you to be Alice Cooper. So go out and be the most best, most God-honoring Alice Cooper you could be. And that's what happened. I remember as a kid watching on MTV, I was watching a video of his called Hey Stupid. And it basically seemed like this character of Alice walks in on a couple about to, you know, do something they shouldn't be doing. And he's kind of calling them out. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird to have a rock star calling out a couple. And sure enough, he put out a record called The Last Temptation, which is just chock full of, you know, his faith. And that's what happened. Alice Cooper slowly turned the ship around and became a different kind of Alice Cooper. So is is the model that has been more, we're going to see more and more of in the last several years, the last decade, especially. And then of course, younger artists, you mentioned Justin Bieber. I mean, he's a classic case of the artist who would have traveled to Nashville, signed to a Christian label, and a small portion of the country would have, would know his name today if he'd taken that route. Absolutely. You know, I was just in Stephen Baldwin, who's his father-in-law now is, is a, is a friend of mine. And, you know, I was just in Ukraine with with Stephen, and it's so cool to see what God's doing in a family like that and in Justin's life. And you're right. I mean, if you know, you you would have gone what a lot of religion would have maybe the advice that the religious community would have given. You never would have had the platform that he has now, and how many people you know think about how many people you know he's able to reach with what he's doing. It's just it's just incredible. I have a theory that. It's sometimes very difficult for celebrities to get discipled when they do, you know, come into kind of a faith community because, you know, there's, there's first of all, you know, I see with maybe some pastors where there's like this, you know, and th- this is probably the negative side of it is I feel like sometimes people like to collect celebrities and it's not just pastors. It's, in, you know, we all like to know that we know this guy or that guy. And, and so how challenging is it for churches when somebody like that comes into the ministry to kind of treat them like just anybody else that's there, disciple them through the process? Or, you know, how often are pastors facing that temptation of like, okay, well, this guy's coming to my church and, you know, I don't want him to leave. So how honest can I be with him through that process? And so I feel like sometimes celebrities get, you know, almost for lack of a better term, half-baked in their in their faith journey, because sometimes people aren't willing to really 
spend those that deep time with them because they're afraid of offending them. Is this something that you've seen at all kind of through this process? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because, again, I think Alice gives us a roadmap of how to handle this. So I have two friends at different times who visited his church in Arizona, and I've been there once as well. But So one friend dropped off their kid at child care, and after the service came to pick up their child, opened the door, and it was Alice Cooper that had been watching their kid in child care for the previous hour during the sermon. <laughs> right. And uh, the second story was another friend who visited there and opened up the church directory. You know, churches have a directory with sure. phone numbers and addresses, pictures. Uh, and there's Alice Cooper and his wife, Cheryl, in the directory, like next to, you know, whatever the... Uh, I'm assuming Charles not full makeup. <laughs> right. <laughs> But he's there, he's there in the seas. The, the point is, like, he has a normal church life. You know, I think eventually people get used to the fact you're sitting next to Alice Cooper and he's watching your kids in child care. And, and he's just a normal member of the congregation. There isn't special treatment. He's not in the roped-off section at the front. And, and hopefully people learn not to ask for autographs and try to slip their demos to him. But I think there's a real lesson to be learned there, just to be, be a normal person and, and try to surround yourself with normal people who could help you. And, and look, I'm not against celebrity churches on, in Hollywood where they have the roped off section, whatever. It's not a commentary on that. But, but it's just more of a, a say, you know, be, go to a, be a normal part of a functioning church. It might be a small church of 25 members, whatever it might be, and, and try to have a little bit of a community there that is that is not, you know, in awe of you and worshiping everything you do. And I think that there's a real lesson there for all of us. You know, I think that's such a great point because, I mean, obviously there, you have some people that are, that are such significant kind of celebrity, for lack of a better term, that, that they do need a little bit more, you know, protection and consideration and, you know, to have that moment. I, you know, it's interesting that one of the, one of the earliest kind of historical figures that I, that I read about that maybe dealt with this phenomena was Albert Camus, and he was, you know, French existentialist writer. And there's a wonderful book called Al- The Minister and Albert Camus. And it was this tale about Albert Camus. While in Paris, there was a, an American Baptist minister that went over there for, you know, a couple of years as part of his, his training of, of seminary. And he ends up leading Albert Camus to the Lord, which was a really big deal at that time. But Camus was, was, you know, he was hesitant to kind of go public with it. And obviously the news was not what the news is today, but there was still concern about pushback and affecting his career and all these sort of things. So he just kind of wanted to, to ease into it. And, you know, this, the, he wanted to get baptized. And so the minister told him, though, if you don't get baptized publicly, I won't do it. And it was like two weeks after that, Albert Camus had a had a tragic car accident, really bizarre account, hits a tree on a on a road where nobody else is around and dies. And I just remember reading that and just almost like wanting to yell out loud, like, what were you thinking? You know, and not not to say that because he didn't get baptized, he's not saved or or anything, you know, like that, or that he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. But, you know, I think that sometimes we we, you know, it's either you see one extreme or the other. It's either so much pressure put on somebody and no consideration about the place that they are in their life. Or you see kind of this hands-off approach of your celebrity, so you just kind of, you know, you're just going to do whatever you want here. It doesn't matter how it affects the church, the ministry, or what it's doing to your life. We're just not going to say anything, you know, because of who you are. And, and you know, I, I think what you describe there with, with Alice is, is a healthy balance of we're just going to treat you like a real person and 
respect you in the process. And, you know, obviously the maturity analysis side to be willing to, you know, get involved at that level and do life with a, with a community of people just seems really healthy. Right. Yeah. You know, people, people who aren't so impressed with you, you know what I mean? People who just see you as a, as another, as a fellow traveler, maybe are not fan boys and fan girls of you. I think, I think we all need people like that in our lives. You know, it's, I think that's such, it's, it's so important. And I would imagine there's a lot of celebrities that would love to talk with somebody who doesn't treat them like a celebrity, you know, that doesn't like freeze up with them or get nervous with them that would just love to, you know, I met somebody here recently and I was just so impressed because it was like, they wanted, I felt like they wanted to talk to me. They didn't know who I was, but it was just like, I need to talk to a real person. I haven't had a real person in a while, you know, because if everybody treats me different, I think there's probably a lot of celebrities that really, you know, long for that. It's probably a lost skill, but I mean, if we're going to find it anywhere, we should find it in the church or in faith communities first and foremost, I would think. Right. I think so. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of examples like Justin. Kaya Jones is a, is a friend of mine. She's been on the show before who, you know, was an original member of the Pussycat Dolls that came to faith and is now, you know, sharing her faith very openly and, and starting to do music in that direction. What about kind of the, you know, people like Katy Perry or Jessica Simpson, you know, is, and I know they first started in Christian music and then made, you know, the jump kind of to a mainstream music. Do you touch on this at all in your book? I do, yeah. So I have a chapter called Relationship Status Complicated that I think perfectly describes uh, the kind of folks you're talking about. And so just briefly, we talked about like the first two types of people, which was the Alice Cooper types, which are like Alice Cooper and Dave Mustaine of Megadeth and artists like that who are big rock stars who had conversion experiences and then stayed in mainstream music with, you know, now with a new message. The second is the Justin Bieber types, which are basically young artists who are Christians. Their parents are Christians, but they're guided away from Christian music into mainstream, but still, you know, have their faith reflected. The third phenomenon is the American Idol phenomenon, because this is actually a huge impact on pop culture. And people don't realize this, but at the time when American Idol was going on, there was actually a Christian alternative version that tried to get off the ground. It was called Gifted. Basically, would have guided these Christian artists away from American Idol and to Gifted, where they would have presumably won Gifted and gone on to CCM. But because they stuck with American Idol, they became mainstream pop stars. So you have, you know, you have the Daughtry, you have all these artists who come to fame in American pop culture because they didn't go to the Christian version of American Idol. They went for the real thing. And, and last but not least are the artists like Switchfoot who were initially signed to Christian labels. In Switchfoot's case, they were signed to a division of Barrow Records called Rethink, and then they moved over to Columbia. So that happens a number of times, too. But I would say the fifth strain you're talking about is the relationship status complicated part of this equation, which is the Katy Perry's, the Avril Lavigne, a number of artists like that who really wrestled with their faith in Katy's case, moved away from it. But, you know, when you have a, a mom who's praying for you, uh, good luck with that, because uh, <laughs> it's going to be it, it's very hard to get away from the hound of heaven when he has your mom on you. Keith and Mary are rock stars in that regard, for sure. That's right. But in all seriousness, there are a number of those kinds of stories. Miley Cyrus, I have a chapter on Miley Cyrus. It's really just a heartbreaking chapter of her story of how her dad and her are driving out hollywood to be on this show and the whole time he's just tormented by am i doing the right thing here by 
letting my teenage daughter, you know, go into Hollywood and, you know, it doesn't turn out very, very positive from a faith aspect. But, you know, nevertheless, uh, to be honest with you, I would prefer a God haunted ex Christian rock star to a lot of the rock stars we had in the 60s, 70s, and 80s who were just like completely devoid of anything or any kind of thought process about spirituality. And so, yeah. You know, these may be, from a, from a Christian perspective, these may be problematic people, but they still have, you know, God is still in the construct of their universe, and they still think about him and reference him, and they're wrestling with him, you know? And and the, the thing about God that I've always found interesting is he's big enough to handle people's questions, and so as long as you're engaging uh, with him, you know, he's there. And so compared to the secular culture that I grew up with, you know, uh, I'll take a, a, a ex-Christian rock star who's still thinking about the big issues of life any day. In the case of Katie, you know, I've read a lot of interviews where she, she is wrestling with this. She is trying to reconcile the Christianity she was taught by her parents with the experiences she's had. And, and I, do, I do admire that journey. If you've enjoyed listening so far to the Lucas Miles Show, then I would like to invite you to head over to my website at lucasmiles.org. That's lucasmiles.org. And there you can find all sorts of goodies like my ebook, Unstoppable Grace, as well as my book, Good God. Also, if you haven't yet gone to lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter, you can go there and you can download a super secret chapter x we're calling it that didn't make it into good god but i think it's got all sorts of great material and resources for you so in the topic of that chapter is the story of authority so make sure and head over there and grab that it's at lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter and please let us know what you think you know i wrote an article back in 2015 called is justin bieber a real christian and my job wasn't to figure out, and the article wasn't about whether or not he was or wasn't, but I was actually addressing the all the people in, in Christianity and the church that I was hearing that were actually criticizing him for starting to express statements of faith, questions of faith, support of, of Christianity. And there were, I was hearing all sorts of people go, well, I don't think he's really a real Christian, you know? And, and I thought, you know, like, first of all, like, I think this is part of the problem. The guy down the street that we've invited to church six times, like, we give him all the patience in the world to, like, figure it out and to show up when he feels like it. But, you know, and if he expresses some sort of positive thing towards the church, people probably show up to their small group and they cheer, yeah, God, he's moving in this guy's life. But sometimes if you see a celebrity you know, express something, but yet they have a video that you didn't like or a film that, that you didn't like or, or you know, you saw them, you know, cuss on some interview, then all of a sudden they have all these critics that begin to throw stones at them in this process. And, and I think that that's something that if we as, the, as Christians really want to be more influential in Hollywood or in the entertainment business or, or in the, the music industry, I would imagine that that's something that, you know, we need to get better at is, is giving people a, maybe a, a clearer and more welcoming on-ramp to the message. You know, is this something you'd agree with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are other communities that do this very, very well. The LGBT community, the African-American community, you know, if, if an artist makes a, a positive statement or a, a positive move towards some of those communities, they get dinners thrown for them. They get banquets thrown for them. They, they reach out to them and embrace an artist like that. Whereas the Christian community often will nitpick 
and, and sometimes with good reason, but we'll often nitpick and give the reasons why you're not doing it correctly. And really, I think that they should offer the same kind of embrace that other communities do and say, you know, thank you for, for making a positive step in our direction, because what it does is it reinforces that behavior. It makes the artist want to move more in their direction. You know, the old, the old saying that honey attracts more than vinegar. And, and there is a tendency to offer up vinegar. But when people are moving in your direction, they're asking the right questions. You know, part of what, what I'm getting at with the book is just that we, we had a very artificial secular culture and media for maybe a half a century. And, you know, think back to a show like maybe you've watched it on, on, on Nickelodeon or something or on one of the old channels like I Love Lucy. And I Love Lucy is actually an incredibly secular attempt at trying to portray a normal life. And what I mean by that is, and I'm just deducing here, but if you have a, a woman named McGillicuddy, chances are she's Irish and chances are she's Catholic. If you have a guy from Cuba named Ricky Ricardo, chances are he's Cuban, chances are he's Catholic. So you have two Catholics married in New York City and you never see a priest. They never go to mass. You never see any kind of faith journey as part of the show. And so it takes, yes, and this is a harmless, innocuous show. It's not a bad show, whatever. But think of the effort it took for the producers of that show to keep the religious faith of Ricky Ricardo and, and, and his wife out of that show. A lot of effort. You have to literally zero out a great portion of their lives. And so that really, to me, is an example of how we secular, our media was secularized for us in that era. And what the reasons were, I don't know. It could have been an anti-Catholic bias in the 50s. It could have been that advertisers didn't want He said, look, stay out of religion, we're going to get into it. It could be a lot of reasons. But the net effect was we had like a pretend music, entertainment, movie and TV culture where we all pretended we were secular beings and we weren't. Right. Half of us go to church every week. Half of us go to some kind of religious service. And so that's what really happened in all areas of media until, you know, more recently when a lot of people, a lot of us said, you know what, let's let our media reflect our lives. Why do we have to lie in our media and pretend we're these secular creatures who, who don't have any kind of religious life aspect to our lives? And so I think shows like Touched by an Angel and Many, many good things that have come out over the years. I mean, even Little House on the Prairie would, would show faith as a natural part of that community's lives. And, and so I think we have to really ask ourselves, like, what were we trying to accomplish here by pretending and beating religion out of our stories? You know, Tim Allen, who I, and I both had some experience with, Tim Allen would let his characters in his first show go to church. And I remember watching that going, what in the world? How can you get away with this? Like, they, you can't go to church in a sitcom on home improvement, but he did, he did a little bit like of things like that. And so really that the book is really about the mainstreaming of faith and it's become much more acceptable today. When I was a, a young person, it was unheard of, you know, to express your faith in a song. Now, if you were an African-American, maybe they'd let you get away with it because it was part of your culture and, you know, whatever. But really for the most part, rock stars and pop stars, it was just forbidden Part of also what I have in the book, I have examples of, you know, there were gatekeepers in the music business who tended to filter out the religious people from becoming pop and rock stars. If you discovered the Eagles in the 70s or different bands, those were discovered for you by a handful of, of music executives that gave the green light for them to become rock and pop stars. 
And I give an example in the book of how Clive Davis put the kibosh on the burgeoning career of a young singer named Keith Green. And so Keith was a child star, uh, the youngest signed ASCAP songwriter in the history of ASCAP. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. He becomes a born-again Christian, and he travels with his new songs. Uh, you know, he travels to New York City and auditions for Clive Davis. Clive Davis decides not to help Keith Green push forward to a music career. So, because he can't, you know, he really wanted to impact the world with his songs, but it didn't work. So he had to sign to a Christian label. Now, fast forward 30 years, and now you have Clive Davis as part of American Idol, urging some of the artists to tone down the religion in their songs for the album he's putting out. So it, it's just been a pattern, and this is not against Clive Davis, but it's just a pattern of, of trying to you know, tamp down expressions of faith in pop culture. And that's changed quite a bit. No, very, very fascinating topic and encourage my listeners to grab the book. It's called Rock Gets Religion, The Battle for the Soul of the Devil's Music by Mark Joseph Ford by Alice Cooper. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes as well. Mark, before I get you off of here, I know you have a couple other projects in the works. I'm really eager to hear about the film Reagan with uh, Dennis Quaid and John Voight. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having a lot of fun. Really excited to have Dennis on board for that one. Expect to be filming this year. I tell you that the process of developing and producing films is, uh, <laughs> is, is like watching paint dry. And so I almost hesitate to talk about I it. I wish I couldn't relate. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. We, we, we finally made some announcements. And, and Dennis is just an amazing individual. And really, I... I I tell uh, anybody I talk to, if you gave me every, you lined up every Hollywood star you can name and put Dennis Quaid and said, who do you want for this role? I would he's absolutely our, our very first choice and we're excited to work with him. And, and then I also have a film called No Safe Spaces Out with Adam Carolla that'll be out later this year. It's kind of a docudrama getting at what's happening on, on issues of free speech and we'll be in theaters with that one. So uh, yeah, I've kind of got a wide wide array of projects. Also, I, I do have a reality show called Making that I'm excited about where we've just finished our third episode. And basically it takes the viewers behind the scenes as we make our movies. So each season will be a different movie that we're making. And so the first season is called Making No Safe Spaces. Just a, a wild ride. You know, when I started making this movie, I didn't anticipate we'd be testifying before Congress. And so I have Adam it's called to testify on issues of uh, free speech on college campuses. And I'll, I'll just say that the strangest part of the first episode is when I'm negotiating with members of Congress because Adam's team wants him to appear in his pajamas to testify because he wants to make the point that we should put free speech needs to be protected and put political correctness to bed. And so I'm literally on the phone <laughs> trying to figure out What's going to happen if Adam shows up in his pajamas before Congress and the congressional aides begging me, please don't let that happen. We actually are not allowed to tell you what not to wear, but please don't come in your pajamas. <laughs> Hopefully they were flannel. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to see that. That's going to be really interesting. So no safe spaces. Any ballpark on when that's going to come out? You know, sometime this year. So I'm not sure. <clears throat> We're still, uh, we've got about a month of shooting left to do it. And then after that, we all sit down and watch it and, and figure out a game plan. But it'll be out in 2019. Well, love to have you and anybody else part of that back on the show once it, once it airs. And excited to check that out. Mark, I really appreciate you being on the Lucas Miles Show today and would love to have you back anytime. Thanks so much. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as well as our newest feature, the Lucas Miles Motivational Moment of the Week. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure and hop over to my Instagram page, which is at Mr. Lucas Miles. That's MR Lucas Miles for a lot more motivational moments as well as all sorts of other goodies. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us next week.